Well, good morning, church family. It is good to be here with you guys. Uh, yes, my family is with us. Uh, it is <laughs> the Lord clan has has invaded, and so um, no, we are. I'm I'm so blessed just to to, to have my family here, um, just to begin this just journey with them with you guys. Um, I want to thank all of you who've been just supporting us and helping us, whether it's been helping us move into the apartment that we're renting or whether it's helping us with the apartment, um, whether it's been some of you gifts and, and caring for us and getting us meals. And, and guys, just thank you for wrapping your arms around us and our family. And uh, just a huge, it makes this transition a lot easier for us. So thank you. Um, but this morning, um, as we remember and we get ready for for. The, the celebration of our Lord and our Savior, His invasion into this world by taking upon the form of human flesh and being born as a child. His birth and, and why He came was, was, was to conquer sin, to conquer fear. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be in, looking at in, in Matthew chapter 1. And this is the, the, the narrative in Matthew's gospel about, and it's very short, it's, very, it's a summary, you read over it, you're like, wow, that was very, uh, not a lot of pomp and circumstance. It's a very short few verses talking about the birth of our Jesus, and he's, Matthew is coming from a perspective of looking at, at, really, from Joseph's, what he's dealing with. Last week when we were in the gospel of Luke, we were coming from from more from Mary's perspective, and Luke does this investigative work, and he's writing his letter, his gospel to a church, because they needed to know and understand all about how Christ came about through Mary. Matthew is going to hit from Joseph's perspective. And when we talk about, when we look at Joseph's perspective, the biggest thing that we see is this man's life is radically being changed by the invasion of this baby. And it's bringing forward fear. Fear about his his betrothal, his engagement, his marriage, fear about how he's going to be seen in society, fear about what all of this is going on. We could read into, but there is an, an overwhelming fear that is hitting this man. And when we think about the birth of our Savior, that the good news of Christ both radically stirs up and changes our lives, and that in itself, when you are going to accept Jesus for who he is, it can stir up fear. And while he stirs up this fear, the one who's stirring it up is also the one who wants to conquer it. Who wants to lead you in that fear. Who wants to lead you through that fear. Our God is conquering sin and death. He is conquering fear. So that's where we're going to be this morning. And what we see here in this section is that fear is, if all of us, is a very big joy killer. Fear causes us to respond in all kinds of emotions to events. Fear is telling us that something is dangerous. Jesus Christ coming into this world is dangerous to our lives that we're used to living. Jesus Christ coming into your life and leading your life as the Savior of the world is dangerous. And we want to put Jesus into a very safe 
box. But our God is not safe. Our God is dangerous. But our God is also good. So fear wants to to rob you and rob me of the joy of this king who is invading our lives. Fear is a response of us saying, this isn't safe. And you're darn right, our God is not safe. But our God is good. Fear. Fear is a natural response. When we look at fear, fear, God gave us fear to recognize something. Oh, don't touch that. That'll burn you. Be, be aware of that. It, it might hurt you. When you see a bear when you're out hiking, you don't go look, oh, look how cuddly he is. I'm going to run over and give him a big Christmas hug. No. When you see a, a bear, you should have a fear response because he doesn't want to give you a hug. He wants to turn you into a snack. Okay, this isn't Yogi the Bear. He looks at you and says, food. You look at him and say, oh, aren't you cuddly? If you don't understand what it means to have fear, you might be walking through life in oblivion. We have a lot of fears that are going on that push on us. How are we going to endure this marriage? The fear of our finances, the fear of illness, The fear of death itself, pain, cancer, struggles, raising kids. Oh my goodness. I applaud every single one of the children. That is an amazing ministry because wrangling those children to get them up here and to to sing and to do the thing, I mean, that takes patience. And you can, I I bless all of you who are working with the kids because I can see the the fear like, oh, come on, just do it. Don't say something silly. You know, don't pull down the tree, don't, you know, you're, there, <laughs> there's fear, a lot of things that want to pull on us and push on us to be afraid. Joseph today, and we're going to see, his life is radically being ripped apart by the invasion of Jesus Christ, and it's causing fear in him. And the one who's ripping his life apart also comes to give him peace as his life is transformed. Give him strength. So that's where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. I want to read this to you, and then I want to pray. Matthew records this way. He says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed, that's engaged, to Joseph, before they came together, She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, 
which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son to save us from our sin. God, who is with us, Emmanuel. Lord, we will ask that you speak to us this morning. Speak to us through your word. May your Holy Spirit just fill this place. Move through the rows, showing us where in our lives we are afraid to follow you. Afraid to trust in you. Afraid. Lord, speak to us in our fear. Comfort us in our fear. And lead us in our fear. Heavenly Father, I ask you, use me this morning as an imperfect man to preach your perfect word. Use me, Lord, to speak your truth. May nothing that comes from my lips be anything else but what you desire for us to hear. Lord, bless this time. May you be glorified in the preaching of your word, and may you be glorified in the hearing of your word, and may you be glorified that we live out your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So jumping in here into our text, we start out in verse 18. And in verse 18, we just let me read it again to you. He says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, the Jesus' mother Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, when we look at this betrothal, and with, later on in the text it says they're, they're married. He calls her his wife. The Jewish understanding of, of, of betrothal and marriage and engagement is radically different than what we have in our day and age. But before we jump in that, we got to wrap our mind around that this man, Joseph, has a fiancé. A young lady that he, is been, he has been preparing his life for. And he hasn't heard from an angel yet. The angel hasn't come knocking on his door. Mary's had this revelation. We saw this last week. She's had the angel speak to her to teach her, to guide her what God's plan is, to do the impossible and make it possible in her life, make it possible in our lives. So you can imagine she's pretty jazzed about all this. She's got this like, oh my gosh, but it is for her also radically life-altering because here she is. She's going to go tell her fiancé she's pregnant. She's a virgin, so Joseph thinks. So how does a virgin become pregnant? When we think about the context of this story, that's a question you've got to put to try to understand where Joseph is. He hasn't had an angel manifest himself in front of him, telling him the, the work that God is doing. The message came to Mary. When we think about how God's word in the New Testament lifts women up, to this high status, that are, the fact that Mary gets the revelation first is huge. And Joseph is over here, and he's engaged. And his fiance shows up and goes, hey, I'm pregnant. And he's going, how? 
I know where I have been. Where have you been, honey? What you been up to? Oh, it's an angel. The angel of God told me that God, the Holy Spirit, came upon me and has made me pregnant. Okay, now that's a serious whopper of a story. What? Now let me give you a little more context here. When we look at this, 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 this section, we got, we, we got to keep Luke in, in, in mindset. Mary's been told of this immaculate conception, but then she's also told in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 1, that her, her own cousin, Elizabeth, who has been barren her whole life, she's probably in her, her, her mid to late 40s, is now pregnant. Something they've been praying for and wanting their whole life. She's now pregnant, not through immaculate conception, but through natural conception. And they didn't have pharmaceuticals to help with that. They didn't have any, any medical work to help with that. There wasn't, hey, we're going to go get some Petri dishes and some stuff and we're going to you know, do a little cocktail and make a baby here. No. God did a miracle that their bodies would work. So she, we see in, she hears about this in Luke chapter 1 verse 36. And behold, the angel says, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, I'm 47, that doesn't feel very old, but has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So she is not only excited about her pregnancy, but she's excited for her relative. She wants to go praise God and see what God did. So in Luke 1.31 from last week, we saw, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. Now she's up in Nazareth. So she travels, and she's a teenager. She's probably 14. I have a 14-year-old. They're not doing some cross-country traveling on their own. But, and this is a whole other day and age. Maybe she had some relatives, some friends, people who would help travel with her. But she journeys without Joseph in the story. She travels all the way down to close to Jerusalem. That's Judah. That's the southern half of Israel. This is a week-long journey. And she goes down there to, to, to see what God has done. She is on fire, praising the Lord. And I would encourage you to read all that goes on in Luke's gospel there. We find out from this passage in Luke 1.56 that Mary remained with her, that's Elizabeth, about three months. So she's already six months pregnant, so she remained three more months. So Elizabeth now has gone to full term. Mary probably stuck around to see this baby who would be known as John the Baptist. The man who will prepare the way for the Messiah. But she's there three months. When she shows back up on the scene, she's going to have a little baby bump. She's going to have that little cuddly baby bump. When she shows up and her betrothed has either one of two things. Known for three months, because she might have told him, we don't know exactly. She may have told him and then disappears for three months. But more likely, when you start putting this together, she shows up on the scene. I haven't seen you in three months, honey. What you been up to? Oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. I can see. That's not a basketball. You know, they didn't have basketball then. So, you know, they, they're, they're, she shows up on this scene 
And his life is radically changing at this moment. A little more context for you. In the ancient world, when you are betrothed, this is something that's an arranged marriage. It's not something that we do in the United States, but other cultures still practice this in our world. And in the Jewish ancient ceremony of, of, of betrothal and having this arranged marriage, that means that her, his family and her family knew each other. They're from the same town. They're in Nazareth. The community is, I mean, it would be, it would be a small village in comparison to Princeton. It's a tiny community. Maybe a thousand people. Maybe push it into the close to 2,000, but it would be small. Everybody knows one another. And Joseph's family would have arranged, as he was coming into manhood at 12, that's not something we think about in our world as 12 years old as manhood, they would have been engaging him to another family, Mary's family, who was probably only a young child at the time. Because by the time she's born, sorry, by the time... She comes of age here to have the baby and get married. She's probably 12, 13, 14 years old. He is probably what we can guess, maybe in his early 20s, but could be in his later 20s. Some have even speculated he might be even approaching 30. That's some weird context, right? We have laws for that now. But that's how they functioned in that day and age. For Joseph to be truly betrothed, he had to do several things for this now to be approaching the wedding ceremony. He had to provide a dowry, which was a, a large sum to the family that was arranged ahead of time that because this shows her value, her worth to her own family. And he is, he's not purchasing her. He's she also works in the family. She also helps take care of things in the family. This is her absence in the family puts the family in some hardship. Now, we're not here to judge on how their culture is, but he would have had to save up financially for that. His parents would have been a part of that, but really, this falls on him as part of his manhood to, be, to take care of that. The second thing he has to do and be working on and getting all set up is where they're going to live. This isn't 2024 where, hey, honey, we're going to get married and go live in my parents' basement and play PlayStation. Okay, this, he has to, as a young man, he has to be able to provide for his family. So he's setting up a home, whether he's building it himself or he's purchasing it. He is getting everything ready to take care of his bride. His mind is all about, he's saving every penny he can for them to become one, to leave behind his family, leave behind her family, be on his own as his own carpenter, and get himself ready for this new life. And God comes in and drops a hand grenade in his plans. God drops a hand grenade in his plans for his life, and now his life is radically changed. You can almost feel this for him. Joseph, here he is as this, this groom, and all of a sudden she shows up pregnant. He's, he's, been, he's known her all of her life, most of his life. He's known he was going to marry her, so they, they're not strangers. 
He's probably been building this romance, probably been building this relationship, getting to know her, and now she is pregnant. And he knows it's not his. He's been withholding, waiting. And all of a sudden, the woman he, is, he's, he wants to spend his life with and has a life plan for tells him that God made her pregnant? That doesn't compute. We sit here as, as, as Christ followers on the back end of this, looking at, yeah, why, why, why can't you just believe that? Because God does miracles. And he's going, I'm sorry, I've never seen God make a, make a, a virgin pregnant. Non-virgins get pregnant. How? How is this possible? He's not walking and believing on her testimony. He is absolutely wrecked inside. Because when God invades into your world, in your plans of your life, he does turn tables over. He does stir things up. He does radically change your life. And God doesn't send you an email ahead of time, hey, prepare, I'm going to start doing some reconstruction in your life. His ways are not our ways. And God shows up in his life, and he is having a massive crisis at this moment. So we can imagine how sick Joseph is in his stomach. When we read Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So we see Joseph here and we see his fear. His fear is leading him. I'm going to be humiliated. She's cheated on me. How can I trust her? She's telling me whoppers of a story of the, of the Holy Spirit, which they didn't even have a concept for in the Jewish culture, has made her pregnant. But I'm not going to shame her because I love her. But how do I move on with her? How do I go through this life with her? This isn't my baby. How do I do this? We can understand Joseph's fear. His life is radically changing. Joseph's character is being revealed. He's unwilling to put her to shame. So in the Jewish culture, in the book of Ezekiel 23, it gives permission that if a, if, if, if a woman commits adultery, she can be taken and stoned to death. A little different divorce procedures than we have. But what he's going to do is just a very simple, quiet, I'm just going to go to the leader of the synagogue, get a papers for divorce, sign them, not put her to... She's, she's already going to have to deal with the answer, but, but he's not going to claim this. He is going to be shamed. His family is going to be shamed. His name is going to be ruined in the town. But he's not going to get revenge. We see him in this dilemma. He's trying to make the best decision he can, but fear 
is clouding his decision making. And that's what fear does. Fear does never, never gives you always the right answer to a certain circumstance. It tells you something is dangerous. You need to be afraid. You should be afraid. He should be afraid. His fear isn't the issue. It's he doesn't have the truth to guide him in his fear. And so we pick up in verse 20 and 21. Matthew records, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and she will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Notice the angel when he comes. This is different than when the angel shows up in Luke's gospel. He shows up in manifestation in their actual day and age, in their, in their, in their conscious life, physically manifesting. But here the angel shows up in his dream. And in Luke's gospel, when the angel shows up, people are scared of the angel. Mary is scared of the angel. But he's not fearful of the angel. He has his own internal battles of fear about his own life and his future. And you might be there yourself today. Following Christ and how to live and do, and what does it mean to live for God and know God, it is scary. Because all we know is our tangible world and what everybody else in our culture and our society, how they live. But see, our God is countercultural. He shows up to Joseph and says, don't be afraid of what God is going to do in your life. Don't be afraid of what is happening in your life. Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Don't divorce her. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Don't be afraid to walk forward in faith, trusting that what testimony she has given you is true. Don't be afraid of the good news that the Savior has come. Don't be afraid to give your life fully to following this Savior who, guess what? You get to be his papa. You get to raise him. Talk about anxiety. Raising kids is hard enough, but one of my knuckleheads is the Savior of the world? Ah, come on! I barely have an understanding of how to raise my sinful kids. Now I got one that's perfect? Give me a break. Don't be afraid. There's a recognition that he has fear. God knows that when he calls you, when he calls you to follow his will, to be about what God is going to do in your marriage, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what God's saying, I want to do in your job. What God wants to do with your family, with your grandkids with your retirement, with the purpose of your life and why you get up every day. Don't be afraid to follow God and God's will. 
because it is scary. But when God is with you, with God's will, now there's power. Now there's truth. Anything God calls you to is scary. But everything God calls you to, he also brings the power to make it happen. You need to grab hold of that, church family. That what God calls you to do, he will then empower you to do. He doesn't call you to, to, to live a life for him, to proclaim the glory of the Lord, and then not give you the glory of the Lord to proclaim. He doesn't tell you to go proclaim a gospel message and not give you the power of the gospel message. He doesn't call you to, to live a life for holiness and then not give you the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, to change you from unholy to holy. He brings his presence, Emmanuel, God with you to do in you what God commands you to do. So he sends an angel. He sends an angel to this young man who has every right to be afraid because God is throwing a hand grenade into his life. He's going to change it. Fear is an, a true emotional response to danger. And God is 100% dangerous to the life that you are living and every aspect of your life that you are living outside of his will. God is dangerous. I'm reminded of that statement. I don't know if any of you ever read any of C.S. Lewis's books, the, um, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the more famous of all of them. And I've read all of them. I love them to death. And if, if you don't know this story, you got to get your... Lewis was a little bit crazy. And he, he's like, I'm going to make a land where animals talk and all kinds of creatures come around. And then I'm going to have people from our world, World War II age, walk through a wardrobe, which nobody in the 21st century has anymore, and walk through a wardrobe and end up in this man magical land called Narnia, where these animals talk and these animals are engaged. And in this land, it is a representation of the kingdom of God. And in this land of Narnia, is right now being controlled and conquered by a witch. The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And the witch is the Satan figure. And she has turned this land into ice and snow and, and is ravaging it. And so these children, two brothers and two sisters together, come through. And they interact with these animals. And one of the groups of animals they run into is a group of beavers. And the beavers talk. The beavers engage with them. And the beavers invite them into their home. And it's a true beaver realm. They get in there and they start talking. And they are, the beavers are excited because they see these two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve, is what they're called, as the fulfillment of the prophecy of Aslan. Aslan is the Jesus figure, the king figure, and he is a lion. And in this, there's a conversation that takes place with the beavers, and, and one of the, the sisters named Susan, she's the oldest of them, 
And so let me read this to you. Mr. Beaver is talking. He says, talking about who Aslan, he said, Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. And I bring that up in front of you. One, I encourage you to read it. The movie's okay, but it's a good one to read to family. But also is the fact that in this story, our God is dangerous. But he's good. He is dangerous to any bit of sin that you have living in your life. He is dangerous to a life that is not living for his glory. He is dangerous to those who want to live outside of his authority. He is dangerous to a life that is wanting to just go about what it thinks is a good religious or a good Christian life. He is dangerous to your life. But he is good for those who follow him as king. He is a good king. And his plans for you and for your marriage, for your life, for this world, for this church. He is dangerous to the plans you may have for our church. But he is good when we are following his plans for his church. He has a good will for you. So we are only safe when we are with him. As Joseph will learn. He's going to lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. He is going to lead us against the great dragon, Satan. He is going to lead us to conquer the great slave master, sin. Our God is not safe to those things. But he is good. And he is powerful. So he calls Joseph, verse 20 again, Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of my plans for redeeming humanity. Don't be afraid to follow me. And then he shares with him his plans. He doesn't keep his plans secret. Verse 21, he says, She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. I'm going to give you the name for your son. You don't even got to think of that. For he will save his people from their sins. Yeshua, Jesus, means Savior. God is calling you to let go of your fears this morning. To let this Christmas truly come alive. To go from holiday watching of the elf and the Christmas story and everybody's childlike stuff. And I, oh man, how what a blessing it was to have our kids doing what they did this morning. Because everything they were talking about was not about Elf on a Shelf. It wasn't about Santa. It was about Christ. What Christ is about. What Christ came to do. What the meaning of Christmas is, is not what our world wants it to be. Because if, if we make Christmas about Jesus, then that is dangerous. And it is also good. So our world wants to milk toast Christmas. Make it soft and pliable and whatever else we can tolerate. 
But our God says, trust in me. Follow me. I'm going to show you my will. As the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will be your strength. Not you, not your talents, not your money. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So this morning, church family, I want to I challenge you. Do you know that God? Do you, are you walking with His strength for your life here in Princeton? Are you walking with His, his right hand? Leaning on his power to move in you and in your family and in your marriage and with your family. Some of you get to be with family for Christmas and you're like, this is awesome. Some of you get to be with family for Christmas and you're like, I need the strength of the Lord. <laughs> so lean on it. Lord, you say I've got to be patient. Ooh. I need to be long-suffering. Oh, come on. I need to forgive. Really? I need the strength of the Lord to make Christmas what Christmas is about. That's what God is calling us this morning. So he is our Emmanuel, our God who is with us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, our Lord, I thank you so much that you would come and conquer sin, that you do come and give us new life. Lord, I thank you so much that we are not left to our own wisdom. We are not left to figure out how to conquer fear on our own. Whether it's being single, being married, being a parent, aging, you are with us. May we let go of all that we're holding on to that you are a threat of. May we let go of our sins that we so prize. May we let go of the things that we, we secretly love. May we find freedom in you, Jesus. You are the God who takes away all fear. Because you are holy you are loving, you are merciful, and you are all-powerful. May we know your power. May we know your strength. May we walk in it. May we talk about it. May it invade our lips and in our minds every day how good our God is, how holy our God is, how loving and merciful our God is. May we fear sin. May we hate sin. May we speak the gospel loving truth to the sin in our own lives and the sin of this world. May we go and be your people who walk in the fear of the Lord. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Would you stand and worship our Lord this morning?